all that matters is that you start. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter how many times that you stumble. The only way that you can actually fail in any of your fitness or health journeys is if you just quit on it. Welcome to Invested Success. I am your host, Elise, and I am so excited you're here for this episode. If it's your first time tuning in, you're in for a special treat because Invested Success is a show all about where personal development meets personal finance and tips and tricks to help you live the life you've imagined and invest your time, focus, and wealth in a way that's going to give you compounding rewards so you can invest in your own success. And that brings me to why I chose today's topic. The surprising answer that I'm receiving from the many success stories that I interview on this show is not a hot stock tip when I ask them what the best investment they can possibly make is. In fact, they suggest that we invest in our health and fitness and nutrition. And when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because while money can buy time, truly so can investing in your physical health and your wellness. So it's really critical if you want the longest life possible, if you want to stay feeling great and energetic, and if you want to be productive and effective, it boils down to habits and health and just keeping yourself in the top possible shape that you can. So logically, of course, I had to get today's guest on the show to help us invest in our own health. That is why I have brought on celebrity fitness trainer, Chris Colson. Chris spent 10 years in the Navy and after that moved to New York where he became a trainer at boutique gyms and slowly but surely acquired a client roster of extremely well-known celebrities. He helped the personal finance expert, Ramit Sethi, get in great shape for his wedding along with his fiance now wife Cassandra and that's just where it starts he has a very distinctive unique point of view and he has a zero tolerance policy for the misinformation that is spreading out on the internet about health and wellness if you feel really confused about what exercise and diet advice to follow, you're definitely going to be interested to hear Chris's unique perspective on the topic. I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about how we can all lead healthier, wealthier lives. So please give a warm round of applause to Chris Colson on today's show. Welcome, Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. One of the reasons I was excited to have you on the podcast, I've been actually wanting to have someone uh, who's into personal fitness because I think that's such a huge component of a successful life. And furthermore, the more successful people I interview on the show, the more I see certain trends, specifically exercise. Um, and I think actually like our mutual friend, Ramit Sethi was saying something along the lines of when you're interviewing successful people, they'll, you'll be like, okay, just like, tell me, tell me how to be a millionaire. And they're like, well, I exercise every morning. You're like, no, 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 like skip that part. And then after a while you realize, oh wait, okay, this is like the common thread of people who are successful. So we'll dive all into that. Let's take it back first to the beginning. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a GI Joe. Very nice. Did you accomplish that dream? Kind of. I joined, I ended up joining the Navy, not quite the same, um, but uh, not nearly as cool, but yeah, close, close enough. I think it's very cool. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> yeah. So is your time in the Navy, what led you to be a celebrity personal trainer? 
the celebrity was mostly just uh, uh, good connections and making good on opportunities that I had. But uh, to be a personal trainer, yeah, it was uh, while I was in the Navy, I got injured uh, pretty severely. And um, the the military rehab process isn't the best. So I had to basically figure out a lot of it on my own. And like doing that really um I mean, like it basically saved my life for, for the most part, uh, at least in the way that it is now. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool that I was able to do that. And I wanted to give that to other people. Very cool. I like it. Um, so what what is like a motivation or like a way to approach motivation that you would recommend to somebody who's looking to make a major lifestyle change? Do you have any like tips about habits, uh, psychology? Sure. Uh, I think motivation is very stupid and I don't think anybody should ever use it for anything that they want to actually accomplish because what happens when you lose it, you don't do that thing anymore. Um, I really tell people working out isn't something that you're going to enjoy. Uh, It's going to be annoying and you're not going to want to do it most of the time, but you need to treat this like your homework when you're a kid. You just need to do it. Um, The enjoyable part is hitting your goals and being healthy and doing all those other things. Um, you're not really supposed to enjoy working really hard in the gym or, um, not eating cake and instead having to eat something that's not cake, right? Like you're not going to enjoy that, but what you are going to enjoy is like being able to play with your kids, being able to go on vacation and not have to hide yourself, not having to hide yourself in family photos, um, not having to be uncomfortable in group settings because you feel like you don't fit in because you have self-confidence issues. Like that's what you're doing this for. You're doing this for you that should be the only motivation that you need because you want to do this thing that makes you less uh, uncomfortable and less in in whatever kind of pain that you are now. And so you don't have that anymore. Like that's all that matters and motivation should never be a part of it. Yeah, I'm trying to always convince my loved ones who shall not be named to go to the gym and they're like, I don't like it. And I'm like, nobody likes it. Yeah, you're Um, not supposed to like it. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the whole expensive thing and you're like, well... That actually is way cheaper than the healthcare expenses of the diseases that are associated with um, not getting in shape. So yeah, completely with you on that one. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. And like a big thing for me is like understanding people need to understand, like you can't help or take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself. Like it just shows that if you're not valuable, the other people aren't going to, are never going to be as valuable as you are to yourself. They, they just aren't. So if you don't treat yourself well, you're never going to treat anybody as well as you should be treating them just because humans are selfish because they have to be, that's the survival mechanism. And that's like ingrained in your genes. So if you don't care about yourself, you're not going to give a shit about anybody, even like your kids, your spouses, it doesn't matter. Like if you will do a better job, if you take care of yourself first. I love that. That's really wise. Thank you. This is all ammo I can (laughs) use to get my husband to go to the gym with me. So (laughs) I would love to double click on something you said, which is failure isn't, you know, a thing. It doesn't actually happen, which I really like. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. So like everything, especially with fitness, everything is just like on a time scale. And what I mean by that is all that matters is that you start. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter how many times that you stumble. The only way that you can actually fail in any of your fitness or health journeys is if you just quit on it. Um, because eventually you're going to hit those goals. Like it's just a matter of time and a matter of just like things starting to click. Um, and sometimes those things just take a lot of time for some people, they can take years for things to click and that's fine. You're not, you're not supposed to get it right away. Um, some people, they do some people, most people, they don't, but if you just do it, you're eventually going to hit those goals. Um, it just might take a little while. So 
what would your advice be uh, to somebody who is looking to start a fitness routine in their life? Uh, the the easiest thing is just to get started. It really doesn't matter what you do, especially if you've never done something before, like even if it's just walking, but do it, understand that you're probably not going to enjoy it. And that's fine. Treat it like homework. Like you just have to do it. Uh, and then everything that you do, it just, it needs to be consistent. And that's how you're going to see results. This is unfortunately not a very quick fix, uh, for anything, but much like investing, if you start early and you continue to do it uh, in a consistent manner, that's over time is when you're going to see a lot of the results and they're be- going to become easier over time as well. For me, um, it makes me happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it relieves anxiety. I can't really function without exercise. So there's a great neuroscientist uh, who wrote brain rules named John Medina. And he's got some studies on how exercise actually does make you smarter. Um, so I, I think that that's a really interesting way. It's actually one of a recent, there's a recent study could be wrong that it actually is the only proven thing that we found actually regenerates brain cells from like, you know, killing them by drinking alcohol and that kind of thing. What are some of the really great reasons for getting uh, into a health and fitness routine? Yeah, the uh, so the science on the uh, on the neurogenesis, like the regenerate the regenerative pro- uh, properties of that, are kind of like uh, not super solid yet. But there's like there's promise, promising data there. But what they have found is that at the very very least, like even just walking as physical activity will help like do things like prevent uh, Alzheimer's, prevent uh, dementia, um, just because walking requires your motor neurons, that means your brain's working. And if your brain is working, that means it needs to do things that keep it active, which means that your brain is going to stay active longer, uh, which helps prevent all those degenerative diseases. So I'd love to hear your philosophy on cardio, which I personally don't love very much. So what do you think in terms of like, if you're looking to lose weight, build muscle, do you think that's a key component or how should we approach cardio? Right. So cardio should only be approached as you're doing cardio to improve your cardiovascular fitness. Like that's all that it's for. And that's all that it does. It doesn't do anything special for weight loss. doesn't do anything special for muscle gain. does nothing actually like super special for any of that other than improving your cardiovascular fitness, which is a good thing, especially if you have none of it. So you should do at least something and like, like walking is cardiovascular fitness, some like light biking, you should do something, but you don't need to do a lot of it because it just doesn't really matter in terms of your like fat loss or, or weight loss or muscle gain uh, progress. What do you think would be kind of like a minimum amount of either walking or just physical movement a day that, that we should strive for is the 10,000 steps thing, a myth, or, or is that a good kind of like benchmark? Oh, definitely don't use that as a benchmark because it's a ridiculous number of steps for most people to get. It's just, it's untenable. It's a really good thing. If you're trying to get super, super shredded, like you just need a lot of activity, but 10,000 steps is a ridiculous amount of steps. Like I would say like you could shoot for like 3000 steps a day. That's a pretty normal and average amount of movement. And for most people that are sedentary, they get like 200 steps a day. So like that's probably 15 to 30 minutes of walking uh, a day. Oh yeah. That's good to know. I actually heard that that was a number that was kind of plucked out of the air by somebody who created these pedometer companies so that we would. I mean, it's just like, it's just a lot of steps. So like helps keep weight off because you're just doing so much activity, but it's just, it's a, it's, it's a ridiculous amount of steps. Like, agree. The only time I can accomplish it is when I'm traveling and, um, or if I don't have a car, which is probably a good thing to get rid of if you want to get ripped. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, it was really easy in New York to do like eight to 10,000 steps a day because you just have to walk everywhere. Um, but 
if you're not in New York, it's, 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 it's hard. So what is the most common um, problem that clients come to you with looking to solve? Most people are looking for fat loss. I would say in general, people want to lose weight and they want to lose it uh, relatively expeditiously. And it's funny because I tell them that they can't. So I always, I take a very, very long approach to this because it's the only way to do it health, uh, healthfully. And you said something that I loved um, because there's so much diet noise and just fad information out there. And I think even like, I can't keep it straight and I, you know, read probably too much for my own good. So what is like some of the noise and clutter that we need to just get away from to achieve overall health and fitness? So a lot of the noise centers around like very specific types of diets. And I would say that's exactly what you need to get rid of, run away from, because the problem with any kind of elimination type diet where you're eliminating carbs or fats or like cookies or whatever, whatever it is, um, you're going to want that thing that's being eliminated. And, uh, like in my personal philosophy is if you can't treat your own nutrition, like an adult, then like, that's what you need to fix. And you need to be able to treat it like an adult. Like you shouldn't have a, a system to where you need to eat all the things in front of you immediately all the time. Like you need to be able to find a way to live your life in a way that's not everything or nothing. And like, that's really how I approach my training and my nutrition. Um, and that's not always easy, but it is the most beneficial for the long term. I like that a lot because um, from a behavior psychology point of view, a lot of times once you say to yourself that you can't have something, that's when you want it the most. I'm yeah. certainly that way. I'm like a rebellious child against so me, me too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> calories in, calories out is obviously like one school of thought. And then there's about a billion diets that are eliminating some type of food, whether it's mm. starch or protein or meat or whatever. Um, what do you think is like the fundamental underlying science uh, behind all of that? And, and what do you prescribe to your own clients? Yeah, the, the fundamental science is calories in, cal calories out. That is how your body operates. Um, and that's just, that's the end of that, like part of the conversation. There are a lot of factors that go into your calories out. And obviously controlling your calories in is actually, it's relatively simple, but the hard part is like figuring out your calories out. And that's really a trial and error uh, thing, but all the, all of every single diet in existence operates off the premise of calories in calories out. It's just how it achieves that is, is it's method that it thinks is super unique, but isn't. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in that marketing. Cause it sounds super good and everybody and people have success on these diets because you're eliminating entire food groups out of the diet. So your calories lower and like, it's that simple, but there's a lot of like pseudoscience around the diets that like, this is why ours is so good. And it just, it just isn't the reason why all these good health benefits happen from these diets is because you, you're losing fat. Like your body just all of a sudden gets healthy when you start losing significant amounts of weight and fat. And you said something really compelling because ultimately like the factor that determines longevity and health is a lower BMI and like waist circumference. Is that right? Yeah. It's like, it's like relative to, to, to you. Um, but in, in essence, yeah, yeah. And, and the reason why they use waist circumference is because that's where most of the like, uh, adipose tissue and like your, um, like your, your bad fat sits. Um, so in general, if you have a, a slimmer waist, that means you don't have as much like bad fat around on your body and you, and that fat is like very specific to like causing a ton of like health problems. What do you do to measure progress? And just knowing that like, it's kind of a blunt tool. How do you measure progress with your clients? 
Um, I use a lot of different ways for me. I use pictures. Um, and that, that can be hard for a lot of clients if they don't like the way that they look, but like, let's be honest, who likes the way that they look in the mirror. Um, you're your own like terrible, harsh self-critic. Um, but, uh, for me as the coach, it's, it's very easy for me to see progress from a week to week basis based off pictures. Um, I use a scale with some people, some people, uh, have the same issue that a lot of people do with scale and that number. So I just tell them never to use a scale again, cause it's not that important. Um, the reality is the weight number doesn't really matter as long as you see changes that are, um, important to you, which whatever your goal is, like, that's the thing that you're going to see. And the scale isn't really, um, can, can be like not a great representation of what's actually happening with your body. Um, 150 pounds look a lot different on seven different people. Right. So, um, the weight itself is very, um, it's just a tool in the toolbox. And if some people can't handle like looking at that tool all the time, then just get rid of it. It's not that important. Um, and there are a lot of, like, if some people just have image issues and like, and that's, and that's fine. And that's a super common thing, especially in the Western uh, States in America, so if that is an issue, then we look at other things um, like clothes fitting better, like getting stronger, uh, other like little things that mean a lot, um, but seem very small. We call that non-scale victories, basically, and that seem very small to the person, but they actually mean a lot and means your body's changing in specific ways. What are some of your favorite non-scale victories? Uh, I did a pull-up, uh, I did a push-up, uh, all the like, um, I'm wearing clothes that I haven't worn since high school. Um, those are probably the big three for me. Uh, I love it when people get like stronger and again, they always consider themselves weak. And then like, when people are like, nothing's happening. And then, Oh, now I'm wearing these clothes that I couldn't wear before. It's like, yeah, something's happening, I guess. So those are always cool. What are like some of those first steps or actions that you tend to prescribe for your clients? Um, the first one is making a uh, consistent time for you to go to the gym and blocking, blocking that time off in your calendar every single day of the week, even if there are days that you're not going on the gym, because that time is for you specifically and only you to do the thing that you need to do. Um, and you need to make sure that you don't schedule things in that place that will start taking away from that time because you need to control that time. Um, and then the same thing for figuring out your food for the day or the week, um, because if you don't plan, you're basically planning to fail. So everything needs to have some kind of plan, including your food. What are some of those plans that you put together? Um, so I tend to do a macro-based approach for the nutrition. And what basically what that means is it's calorie counting via protein, carbs, and fats. And the reason why I do that is because again, calories in, calories out being the ultimate determining factor of weight loss or weight gain, um, using the macro specific macronutrients are able to, um, dictate how you lose that weight and how you gain that weight, meaning like specifically fat loss or specifically muscle gain. Um, it's not always perfect, but it is, uh, the, the best method, um, to do that. Now, some people, the numbers, they don't like seeing the numbers and that doesn't work. So there are other eating strategies that you can use, but that is the, in my opinion, the best one. Um, and then uh, the workout plans are just like, they're very variable because it's, it's very much like I can do these things and I have access to this stuff. But in general, we try to keep workouts around 30 to 40 minutes uh, per workout four days a week is pretty average. Why count protein and get to a certain amount of protein and fat and carbs? I've got a theory that's developing, but I still don't get it really. Um, a macro is anything that has a calorie. Um, we don't count alcohol, uh, which has a calorie as well and is technically a macro, but you don't want to like 
that's too much freedom. Um, uh, so yeah, proteins, fats, and carbs are what you consume in general that has calories. Um, and that's why you track them because if you track those, you're technically also tracking your calories by counting those things. You're able to, um, like if you're trying to lose weight, you're able to lose fat without losing very much muscle. And when you start, uh, when you're in a calorie deficit, which means you're eating less than, um, than you're burning, uh, your body is going to dictate how you lose that weight, but by feeding it the specific nutrients, you can dictate how your body lose that weight and vice versa as well. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I was thinking another might be just behavior change because I have a feeling I've failed at calorie counting in the past because there was a lot of hidden fat in my food. Mm -hmm. And I thought calorie counting just didn't work for me and my metabolism was broken. But in reality, I was probably consuming like tons of oil and butter at restaurants and not being aware of it. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons I really like uh, macro counting because it's a real eye opener for some people and um, they don't like it. And I don't really care that they don't like it. It's one of those things that I don't care that you don't like it. You need to see this because this is where the issues are. And sometimes you just need to be confronted with that reality. Um, and after getting over the fact that you consume 700 grams of fat and oil every day, um, it becomes freeing because now it's like, I realized why this wasn't working and now I can fix that thing and we can work on ways to fix it. That isn't like super intrusive. If you really love to like guzzle down oil, like it's fine. We'll figure something out. But um, at the end of the day, knowing is a really, really big component for your nutrition. So like, if you don't have the data to know, how do you fix it? And it becomes really hard if you can't. Do you have any eating uh, tricks for clients on how to kind of like reduce calories or fat in certain parts of their life? Um, like, you know, snack snacks that are quick and easy that you recommend or ways to make favorite food delicious, um, but by tweaking a little bit. Yeah. So I like don't actually recommend snacks because snacks are just hard and they're more work in general. Um, I highly recommend people eat basically the same food all the time. And people usually scoff at that, but then you realize what you eat on day, basically daily is, is the exact same thing 80% of the time. Um, and that really helps for a lot of reasons, but just keeping things consistent. Um, stop using so much butter, stop using so much oil. Like those, those are really just the two huge things because people don't realize that doing this is like, that's 300 calories just, just there. Right. Um, uh, and then introducing like a measuring component to it. So like, especially with things like peanut butter, um, like two tablespoons of peanut butter, uh, for different people can be very different sizes of things. So, um, uh, otherwise like yogurt is a really, really great substitute for things like sour cream, um, and mayonnaise and things that are other, otherwise very, very high in fat. You can get really, very, very low fat options, um, that taste nearly as good. Uh, but reducing your fat is difficult and that is part of the process. And it, it's something that I, I really try to, uh, make a point of, um, you're not trying to reduce all of your fat in week one, right? Like maybe by month four, like we really got it down. Um, cause you don't need to be perfect right away. We just need to start figuring out little things that will help you out specifically, um, to get those things just a little bit more under control. So smart. Are there any other like mistakes that you see your clients doing aside from maybe the fat, um, that that's like a low hanging fruit that they can correct right away. Uh, that's pretty common or is it just all over the map? Um, yeah. So like mistakes that people make are trying to make things too complicated. So they try to cook these extravagant meals for their meal. Cause they get very excited about their new diet. And it's like, really just like, uh, the simplest that you can make it from like 
the, as soon as you start the one, the more that you're going to learn and two, the more success that you're going to have, which is going to help you do better consistently. Right. So it's like, you really need to start getting those positive feedback loops as soon as possible. Even if that means like your first like month you're eating uh, for one meal, you're eating chicken and rice. And for the next meal, you're eating chicken and a salad with avocado and just like trying to keep things as simple as possible at first. And then starting to add things as you get more comfortable with uh, your system and you start to add, um, add things that you really like to eat is an important component of this too. Cause if you don't eat things that you enjoy, then you're going to quit on the diet because honestly, what's the point of anything if you're not doing it in a way that you enjoy. Um, and that includes eating. I've heard that as well. Like the reason that diets have such terrible statistical success rates is that even like, yes, you can lose a short amount of weight in a certain amount of time, but it's going to come back if it's not a long-term lifestyle change that you've like integrated permanently. Would you say that's about accurate? Uh, I'd say that's hundred percent accurate. Unless you're there, there's like a subset of, of people that are just like, I'm a robot and I'm just going to do this thing. Uh, but for the most of us, uh, you need to enjoy the food that you eat. Now, uh, it doesn't need to be your most favorite thing every time. Like you shouldn't be eating 10 out of 10 meals, like every single day, you should be eating like six to seven out of 10 meals that are like, they're, they're good. They're good enough. And then like really enjoy those times when you have those 10 out of 10 meals. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that that's a hard one for, for a lot of people to get because we're so honestly, it's like just privileged to have access to a ton of good food. Um, so it's really easy for people to want extremely very, very good, rich foods all the time. Um, and the reality is is one that detracts from that experience. And then two, uh, it just makes things really hard and you don't need that when you should be, um, balancing everything out. So like everything is about a balance and not having again, uh, everything or nothing. So I, I just do things like percentage wise. So I, you'd be like 80%, like whatever that works out to. But really what that means is most of the time you're doing things that are in accordance to like the plan that we have in place. And then the other times you can enjoy, like, I don't, I don't like to use the word enjoy yourself, but you can go off the plane. Like you can have that big ass slice of cake, right? That is the only way that it's going to be able to be like a long-term approach because you need to be able to have those moments where you uh, like have the cake or like go to a barbecue and don't have to worry about that. But you can't do that unless you're um, being consistent with the rest of your meals. Um, so that's where the balance part comes into play. So it allows you to have that freedom within that structure because you're providing that for you and you're in control of it and you feel like you're empowered by it. Um, and that's what really, uh, that's where the magic is of you. Like once you understand, not even understand, once you figure out the, the way for you best to balance, um, and the way that I have my clients do that is by what I call failing forward. So basically, um, if they think nothing is a failure, but, um, basically they have a terrible week and like, here's what happened. And then we start just like kind of going over like what happened and, adjusting things in a way that makes sense. And so they can be more consistent during this time so they can enjoy this thing that they really, really need to have in their life. Um, and then it makes them feel better and they're more consistent and on plan. Is like aging hormonal stuff, is that related or is it just that people have slipped up on their calories and their lifestyle habits? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit all of the above. So like, it's definitely harder um, to do things when you get like into the year thirties, your hormones are just not, uh, at the levels that they were before in the sense that you're, they're keeping you in fitter easier, but at the same time, your lifestyle is completely different. Your stress levels are completely different. Your eating is completely different. So everything comes into play there. Um, but it's a really easy excuse to just blame it on I'm old. And then that's why I can't do anything. Therefore, I'm not going to try to do anything because it's now hard. Um, 
and really it's just like, maybe we don't have eight martinis every single night. We have like one and then you're probably, that's the change that you need to make. What are some favorite like ways that you have changed clients' lives um, that you can report back? Like what are some of your favorite success stories that you like to brag about? My favorite success stories are always like, I was, uh, I wasn't able to do this thing and now I'm able to do this thing. So it's, it's uh, usually people come to me like, I need to lose this weight. But then what they're able to do is like, I was never able to deadlift 300 pounds. And now I can deadlift 300 pounds. Like they also achieve their like weight loss goals, but like they all, they, they did something that they never thought that they could do. Uh, and that, that to me is way more impactful than like, oh, I lost weight or going to the beach and like being confident and not being scared to like be in your bathing suit or, um, going on a hike that you never thought you could do before. Like those things are, are to me are cool. Do you approach goal setting in any specific way with your clients? Goal setting for me is weird because in general, I don't like it um, because what happens after you hit your goal, you, you, you do the, like, it's the same thing that happens after you finish a Netflix show. You're like, I don't know what to do with my life anymore. So, but the problem is you need goals, especially when you're getting started. So it's like, how do I make this happen? So basically what I like to do is I have I like to have a, a kind of a, um, a goal and then like an aspirational goal. So like aspirational being something that you want to achieve that you never thought that you can do before. Um, and then just like over time, that, that's usually like a five-year project, right? So like over time, like you'll eventually fall in love with the process of trying to achieve that goal. And now that goal doesn't matter so much as continuing the thing that helps to get you to that goal. Right. I actually love that. Cause I've done that a lot where I hit a goal and it, you're right. It is like you finished, um, the last season of breaking bad and you're just lost and forlorn. And before you know it, the 20 pounds you lost are like back on. Uh, right. so and then, yeah. And then it becomes like, uh, now I just go on to another goal and then you do that enough times, then you quit because this is stupid. Why do I keep doing just new goals? Right. So like, it has to become, I'm doing this for my health forever. Like that's how this works. And then like, that's how it needs to be treated. And it's not like a, I hit a goal now I'm done. Like, well, that's a good way to, then you backslide and now you're back in the same spot. Right. So in general, if you just become successful doing the thing that you're trying to do, you're going to eventually enjoy that at least a little bit and enough to realize that I like feeling good. So I'm going to continue to do the things that make me feel good. I totally hear you. I mean, some of the pain points that I should also just run by you as an expert is um, a broken metabolism. <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Nobody has a broken metabolism. You, usually it's just like your stress is too high. And if your stress is too high, your body's going to not let you do anything. Um, so you think your metabolism is broken, but really your lifestyle is broken and, and that's the issue, or you're just not eating in, enough. So you're, you can't do anything like you can't gain weight or you're just eating too much and you can't lose weight. Like it's just those three things. There's nothing in between and there's no fancy things or, or terms or anything. There's no such thing as like a broken metabolism. Like you can do damage to the way that your body functions by having a elevated stress all the time but you can fix that. It's not broken. Right. Like, and you just need to, but again, that's a lifestyle thing and not an eating thing. What are some of the stressors that you've seen in your clients' lives that you've been able to kind of lessen so that they could get back on their journey to weight loss? And the biggest one is they work too much and they don't sleep and they think that that's fine. And it's like, that's fine. If you want to live to 40, <laughs> but otherwise it's not fine. And I mean, that is the thing about nine to five. I was actually talking about it with my guest. This, my last guest is this kind of slow, persistent stress that we're under. I think the fight or flight back a thousand years ago was like, you're being attacked by a dinosaur that didn't actually happen to humans, but, um, and then you ran away and then you could chill for a little while. Whereas like the nine to five is just kind of a constant low grade stress that I'm sure 
Yeah. I mean, but it also like, it doesn't have to be like, you're choosing to make that like a stressful situation that you think is terrible. And then you bring that home and don't do anything about it. It can be just like your nine to five is your, your dinosaur that shouldn't exist during times that humans lived anyways, but that could, that could be the thing. And then you go home and that's your chill. And like, you need to reinforce that. Otherwise you're just, it's just constant. And you're in that constant state of stress. And that's your own fault because you have not created an environment to not have stress. Absolutely. What are some, are there any other like crazy myths, like the broken metabolism thing that you want to just call out and debunk right now that you've heard that your clients say a lot? Um, like it, it's hard for me to remember them. Cause like, they're so crazy that I just like, I instantly forget about it. And like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, uh, the, uh, muscle confusion thing is not a thing. Um, I mean, the cardio one was, was a big one for a while. Uh, carbs are bad. They're not, they're just carbs. They're fine. They're fruit. Fruits are good. Fruits are not going to make you fat ever. So if anybody ever tells you that they're stupid, um, fats are, fats are magical and will make you, uh, super lean. Not also not a thing. Um, protein is bad for the kidneys. Not a thing. Um, high protein diets can, uh, uh, are bad for your liver. Also not a thing. And then one of my favorite things uh, in pouring over your content, as I did in research for this interview, uh, was your approach to travel. So that's something that's derailed me quite a bit. I love to travel. I love to eat out. What are some recommendations you have for clients who also enjoy these things and how to like keep it together on the road? Yeah. So there, there's two ways to like look at travel. Like either you're traveling for a very specific time, for a very specific reason. And like, that's the the majority of the like serious travel you're going to do for months at a time. Um, and if we're doing that in general, I say, I don't care what you do. Uh, just don't eat like an asshole every single day and it's going to be fine. Um, do some activity. If they got a gym, cool, do that. If not, and like, don't worry about it, go for some walks. And it's just really, it's not going to matter what you do in seven days. It, it, I just, it's your body's not going to care. And I'm not going to care. Just get sleep. And then everything's going to be great. Um, so that's like, that's how you approach that. Um, now, if you're somebody who just like travels consistently for a very long period of time, that's where I say that now you need to start being a, an adult about your travel, right? So you need to start going into uh, your travel with a plan as far as like how you're going to eat and what you're going to do for activity on the road or in the next town that you, you go to. And you really have to do that and care enough about that to make sure that um, you're sticking as close as you can to a plan. Um, because otherwise it's just, it, your, your fitness isn't going to work if you don't care enough about it to do it while you're doing, doing whatever major travel that you're doing. Smart. I like that a lot. Uh, do you have any like rules of thumb in general for like traveling or approaching a restaurant with friends or the holidays or just those like tricky trigger moments that we all encounter in life? Yeah. Eat obnoxiously slow. Um, like get annoyed with yourself while you're chewing. Like that's the, that's the correct amount of chews that you need to have. Um, drink a lot of water. Uh, don't order yourself appetizers unless it's something like, Oh, I've never had this before in my life. I want to try it and fine. But otherwise like appetizers are just huge fat calorie sinks. Um, uh, so don't eat those. Um, don't do things like order like a bunch of fried food. Uh, get like, if you can totally get a potato, it's fine, but don't load it with butter and sour cream. Um, it's just like a lot of little things that you think are very basic, but nobody does because they, they, they go to a restaurant. They're like, I'm now free of all the shackles of my diet and burden. And now I can eat whatever the hell that I want. Like, no, that's not how this works. Right. Again, 
there are times when you can do that. But if you're doing this consistently, that's not one of those times. You need to be an adult and you need to care about your goal enough for this to not be a, a time where you have like a super average cheeseburger um, and a super average dessert and think that this is a good idea, right? It's like save those moments for moments that are actually special, not for uh, I'm in X town again for the seventh time and I'm going to have this thing that I have all the time because it's okay, you know? So why is I, yeah, I was recently talking to a friend about airplane eating habits and how suddenly once you go up in the air, like it's like calories don't count anymore. And yeah, it's really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, you also mentioned holidays. Like holidays are tricky. Holidays are very tricky um, because there's usually a lot of baggage around them. And that's more of a problem usually than the food. Um, So usually what I recommend about holidays is on the actual holiday, don't care. Just like enjoy yourself. Um, again, as long as you're not eating like what I can call an asshole, which is like, when I say that, I mean like eating, like there is nothing other, there's nothing else for you to do other than like, I have to eat all the food that I can as fast as I can. So what you need to do is just like, take it slow, eat the things that you want to eat for that day. Um, but don't like stuff yourself because you're trying to fit as much in as possible. Cause that is not an enjoyable experience. Like you think that it is because your brain is flooded with like serotonin. And again, it's like the shackles thing. I'm now free. And like, this shouldn't be about a freedom thing. This should be about en- trying to enjoy the holiday with people that are there. Um, and also you happen to have food there that you like that you're, you're going to eat. Like it's not, shouldn't be centered around the food. If it's centered around the food, that's like a deeper issue that needs to get worked out. Um, and also don't eat the holiday food before the holidays or after the holidays. Like if you're, if you're at your own home, throw that away, give it away, like whatever you need to do. It doesn't need to be in the house anymore. Unless it's like, I cut this turkey breast for these turkey sandwiches for the next two days like that's fine um but you don't need to have everything else in the house just throw it away and on that note do you have any um meal prep or like pantry building uh tips that have really seen you or your clients through on these things no just don't use trigger foods like like don't have those in in the house like the the biggest tip is like don't have a ton of snack food and a ton of your trigger foods in the house um and then things are going to be magically easy when it's like oh i actually have to cook this thing and now it's uh, slightly hard for me to make and okay i guess i'll just do it the correct way um have like a barrier uh like even if it's a tiny one uh to to that to that food and then it's gonna all of a sudden you're gonna be super consistent on your diet like it's the amount of food that is being wasted is not a big deal um it's more of a big deal that you eat it because you're going to stress out about it. You're going to feel bad about yourself about it. And so it's always like little things that trickle down from that one food that actually is causing more problems than the amount of food that you eat. That's what you need to avoid. And that's the issue with, with those and just hanging around. And all of a sudden you're in this, like, uh, I'm a terrible person because I had an extra half a pint of ice cream. I'm like, no, you're not, but you think that you are because you now have failed, even though you can't fail. It's all these like little, uh, scripts that you have running in your head that don't really exist, but have been created for throughout your entire life. So they're just ingrained in there. Um, and until you can get rid of those, like you just need to throw it away. How do you get to work on getting rid of those? That's like really insightful and smart. What are some of your approaches to that? Um, really, it's having people go through those moments and telling them that it's okay and it's not a big deal. And it's not going to click until like the 700th time that it's happened. And then once it clicks, like it just, whatever, it's like your your partner telling you that you look good. It doesn't matter that they said it. Somebody else needs to tell, like, tell you that they said it. Or it's like, for whatever reason, like you hear things that don't process until it does process. And once it does, it's like a complete mind shift, set shift. And you're all of a sudden, you're free from like those actual shackles of like your life. And you can now enjoy 
food that you thought was bad, but isn't, but you, now you can now enjoy it and you can eat a quarter of the pint and then put the rest away and not have to worry about it again for days. Like, but it takes so much of the, like what I would like, like failing and like picking them back up and failing and picking them back up and then like doing that over and over and over again until they get it. Uh, and then it's like just this entire new world of like, I can eat food and not have to eat all of it. It's, it's like, I'm not saying that facetiously. It's just like, it's a thing that just like all of a sudden they, they know that they can do that. And so, but it's, it's very, very hard to get to. Yeah. It's like, it's the, it's the freedom within the structure, right? Like if you eat a bunch of ice cream and you have macros to hit, like you now have kind of fucked yourself over. And like, now you have a hundred grams of protein and zero carbs and zero fats left. So how are you going to do that? So it cre- it kind of forces you to create that balance. And eventually you're going to get like, Oh, if I just have a little bit of this, then I can still have the thing. And then like not have to just eat like egg whites for the rest of the day and be fine. Um, so like understanding that every, everything is allowed and, Till, like you eat too much of it right so like it's it's getting to that point in the process and like that's the hard part about macros is like getting to that point because when you first start it it's like all these foods are bad i can't eat them but when i do eat them i now feel bad so therefore i have to eat all of it because i already fucked up i might as well just eat all of it but now i feel even worse and it's like it's like eh, stop stop it's okay just like realize how this works and then like kind of working through them with that and like it's, it's okay to do this see if you just do this it's fine and everything's good um, and then eventually it's just like, they don't even need the ice cream anymore because they don't care about it. Wow. I like that. That sounds mm-hmm. like a, a great place to be. Yeah. But that's why it's a, it's a process and it take sometimes it can take a very, very long time and that's okay. As long as you understand that it can take a long time. A lot of times the problems come with like, oh, I thought I could lose this in three months, but like, why did you think that you could lose this in three months? Right. Like there's all these arbitrary, like time deadlines that shouldn't exist because what's the rush, you know, other than somebody telling you that it can't happen. But if you've never done it before, why do you think that it can happen for you? Right. It probably can't like, that's how that works. Absolutely. I mean, that's something I'd love to talk to you about too, is I think I've read a lot about the problem with weight loss and the reason it takes so long is, you know, you might drop it really quickly. Cause let's say you're, you know, 200 pounds mm-hmm. and you're exerting that energy to get around. So like the first 30 pounds goes off easy, but then you're a smaller person. So then you have to reduce your calorie intake. So I guess my question would be like, do you have to ladder into weight loss and then ladder back out of it to be a long-term success story? Yeah. So in general, it's just, it's basically, you're doing this with your calories. Uh, eventually you're doing this, like, it's like stock market kind of, uh, just like, there's a lot of, uh, peaks and valleys, but like over time, it's like, you're eventually eating more and more and more and more, but like getting to that point, um, is, is the goal, but also is, is hard because like nobody wants to eat less, even though your body doesn't need it. It's like, it's just like a, like understanding that, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm no longer 400 pounds anymore. I am only 180 and that 180 person no longer needs as much as that 400 pound person did to sustain that weight. Like that's the kind, that's the thing that, um, is kind of like the trip up is like, people think that they can still eat that much, but like you were only eating that much to sustain that weight that you were at, right. Your body like literally doesn't need that much weight until like you've been at that like set for a while and you start to put on muscle and then you actually need more and more and more calories to maintain that weight. And you're just kind of like your hormones are normalized and you're just kind of burning that off. There's all kinds of things going on with the, the calorie fluctuation, but in the end, it's great. Gotcha. I mean, so is reverse dieting a thing? 
yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of just a fancy term for my metabolism is now low because I've dieted down and need to eat less, but I would like to eventually make that go back up. So you just kind of slowly step up your calories until that, um, <clears throat> that calorie number is higher. Right. And usually what happens for the first couple of months, six weeks, maybe, um, you're actually losing more fat as you eat more, um, as you eat more calories, because, uh, what happens when you diet down is your basically your hormones drop, everything drops to lower your metabolism. So your body, it's like a, a survival method for your body. Cause like if you lose a lot of weight, especially quickly, your body's like, Oh fuck, I uh, shut everything down. So I don't die. Um, so that's kind of like what happens. And then you're kind of telling your body it's okay. Like you're basically just saying it's okay a bunch of times. So your body can ramp everything back up. Um, and then that's when things feel better. Okay. Good to know. So the worst thing you can do after losing like 20 pounds, um, when you're, you know, at your goal weight is to just dive right back into, you know, the same calories as before and that kind of thing. Is that right? That's a really good way to gain a lot of fat. Or, I mean, I also assume a really not ideal thing to do would be to stay at that calorie level forever. Or is that possible? No. Yeah, that's correct. So eventually like it'll normalize your body will be fine, but eventually like you're going to be eating just like such a few amount of calories and your body's not going to be able to do anything like, and then what are you going to do? Lose, uh, try to lose more fat by going lower. Like it's just not going to work. So neither of those things are correct. You don't want to stay and you don't want to go right back up. It just, you need to take a little bit of time to go back up. Um, and that can be hard because when you diet down, what's the one thing that you want to do? You want to eat, but let's like, just take it slow and it's going to be fine. And you can have like a day, like a congratulations day where it's like fine. But, um, oftentimes what happens is like that congratulations day turns into like a congratulations week. And then it's just like, you're off the cliff. So, um, that's why the, the process is simple, but not, not easy. Which is why you are such an important component. I yes. think I'm sure into all of this. Yes. So what about weight loss plateaus? How do you handle them? What usually like brings them about? Do you have any top thoughts on that? Yeah, they're usually not actual plateaus. Like if somebody gets stuck at a weight for two weeks, that's not a plateau. It just isn't a plateau is a month long thing or months long. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on in your body. And sometimes you just don't lose weight. It's really annoying. And I get it. It's super frustrating, but then you'll lose like six pounds the next week for no reason at all. Um, and that's just kind of how the body operates. Uh, it does like this for your weight loss. It decides when you get to do it and not, not you. Um, that's the unfortunate thing about the science is it's not always just science. Right. Um, and then there's also like little things like you could just be tracking things wrong. You could just be eating more than you think that you're eating. There's a lot of like little things that happen there. Um, but usually their weight loss plateaus aren't an actual thing, unless you're like, I'm hyper stressed out and not taking care of that. Then you're like, you're going to plateau because your body's going to like, we're done doing anything except trying to make sure you don't die. That's super interesting. And, um, actually, have you looked at the biggest loser study at all or, or like, no, cause I'm just adamantly against that entire thing. Like just like since its inception, I just ha- hated it. Um, so I don't look at any of it. Well, if you did hate it and you should, uh, the, the biggest loser study, um, there's also a starvation study that was like done in the forties, but essentially a lot of the contestants just gain it back in a couple of years, despite continuously eating at like really low calories. Um, so there's like theory that I think that's where the whole broken metabolism thing came about. And now now that I'm thinking about it, I I am wondering if they were actually accurately tracking their calories. Yeah. Usually usually those are all like self-reported and if it's self-reported, you're not actually tracking it correctly. And, um, 
basically what happens is if, if they are doing that, like what they say correctly, and they're just at that calorie for a while, like your that's becomes your body's metabolism. So if you eat even a little bit more than that, you're going to gain weight back and then you're going to get frustrated about that. And then kind of go into that cycle where you go all the way back up. Um, and usually it's, I can guarantee you those people after the biggest loser weren't taught how to do anything correctly. So they ate, ate for like crazy for the next week or two and were surprised when their body stored everything as fat. Um, cause that's what it's going to do. That's what your body always wants to do is store things as fat. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What do you think about like neat and for the listeners at home, could you just explain the concept? So it's like non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And basically neat is just like walking or walking a little bit more than you normally do. It's really important for people that have a really, really high body weight and want to lose that relatively quickly in a very safe way. It's also really important for people trying to get to like 3% body fat. Anywhere in between that, it's really not that important. I love it. And are there any um, like other myths out there that you want to address or debunk or do you feel like we covered the, the range? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of good ones. Uh, you're not burning that many calories through your workout. Don't think that you are. That's just, that's not a thing that you should ever track or worry about. Um, that's probably the big one just because like you're eating basically all of your calories. Like that's where you're going to make the difference for your calorie deficit or loss. Um, you probably doesn't matter how hard your workout is. It's like, you probably burn 400 calories at at the most. It's not, we're not athletes. It's it's fine. (laughs) That's what I've been told is abs are made in the kitchen. And the thing about exercise is like, you'll feel lethargic. So you'll actually compensate by sitting on the couch more, or you'll feel hungrier after you exercise. So you'll compensate by eating more. Is that accurate? Yeah. Well, like you don't actually make abs in the kitchen. Like, (laughs) like that's, that's not how that works. You actually have to build abs in the gym to like make abs. But, um, yeah. So like your, your workouts, the only thing that your workouts are doing are providing you a stimulus to increase something from that workout. It's never like this workout is making me burn fat. That's just not how that works ever. Uh, maybe you're, um, getting better at muscular endurance. Maybe you're getting stronger. Maybe you're building muscle. Maybe you're doing something to where like, you're just like your, your energy systems are going to be flowing better and more efficiently, but you're never burning fat in a workout. Just, that's not a thing that happens ever. And, but I do know, like, it's a component of every weight loss program. So why do we go to the gym? Why do we lift weights? Uh, well, you lift weights because building more muscle on your body is going to increase the amount of calories that you can eat because it's going to increase your metabolism. Um, it's also just great for a lot of just in general things. And studies have shown that you're always going to lose or gain more when you have a, a working out component to that thing. Um, than you would if you didn't. Um, it's possible to do it either way. It's just better when you're working out and it's more fun and it's cool to get stronger. And there's just a lot of other benefits. That's why you work out. Are there any um, types of workouts, whether that be like hit or high intensity intervals, or do you recommend working out first thing in the morning? Or are there any conditions uh, that, that you think work better than others to accelerate fat loss? Uh, to accelerate fat loss, no. The best, the best plan is the one that you're going to be most consistent with. Uh, and actually, if you're just trying to do fat loss, I would say high intensity interval training is a terrible idea because it's not going to help you other than drive your stress levels high. And again, when we talked about stress. They need to be low for your body to do anything. That's so 
different than things I've heard. And it's so interesting and cool. And I kind of agree with you. I think that I have put my body in distress by exercising. So, well, if that is the case though, so we would want to pick like a low, a non-stressful activity for our bodies that still builds muscle. Weightlifting is stressful. All workout is stressful. And it's supposed to be because the only way your body is going to get adaptations whatsoever is if it's under some kind of stress. But you need to be able to make sure uh, to make sure that that stress isn't going too high. And what the problem with high intensity interval training is just like it's in the name, the intensity is way too high for most people to do more than once a week, because your ability to recover from those workouts is harder. And most people don't recover very well. And if you're not recovering from your workouts, you're not shedding any of that stress, that basically stress load that's on your body. So if you don't shed that, it just carries over and carries over and carries over. Um, so unless you are like hyper precise with your recovery, which again, basically no one is, then you're just doing yourself a disservice disservice. And again, you're not burning any calories from hit anyway. So why are you doing this thing? My mind is blown over here. <laughs> like, how do you build the muscle that you need without stressing out your body? And then also with hit is like, what kind of recovery do you need to do? Again, working out needs to be stressful. So it has to be some kind of stressful and the way that you are going to, um, make, progress to your goals is by recovering from your workouts and that's from any workout. Um, so you need to make sure that you're having a workout that's basically that you're able to recover from, and you're not going to actually know that until you start working out. Um, and that's usually why you want to start very, very slow. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of signs for to where you're not recovering well, like you're not able to sleep well, you're, uh, just ridiculously hungry all the time. Just like, there's a lot of signs that your body tells you that like, Hey, I'm really stressed out. So help me. Um, so a good ways to recover obviously are sleep, um, and nutrition are the easiest way to recover from workouts. Um, and then there's a lot of little things that people can do to make sure that their stress levels are just are being managed. Again, your stress doesn't need to be low. It just needs to be not redlining. So you can add more things on top of it, like working out. So you needs to be like, you need to be stressed out at least some, otherwise you're not doing it. Your, your body probably will shut down if it's not stressed. Like it needs to be under some kind of stress, but uh, you need to have ways to manage that and to shed some of that. Is there like a, a frequency or workout duration that, that generally helps you with these things that you would recommend? Yeah. So workout duration should be like 30 to 50 minutes at most for, for most people not on steroids. And, um, uh, as far as frequency, three to four days a week is good. Uh, any more than that, you're like not getting a ton of benefits out of that. And like any less than that, you're, you're not doing anything. Right. So three to four days is usually good. I would probably, if you've never worked out before, start at three, uh, and then go to four, four is like a good sweet spot. For tech stacks and tools that you swear by and like to use, what, what would you recommend, uh, like apps or food scales, that kind of thing? Yeah. So like food skills, it's, it's like an easy one because you need to be able to measure. And if you're not measuring, um, and again, like one part of measuring is like, you should be able to measure enough to where eventually like you can go for periods where you don't have to measure. That's like a whole nother thing, but, um, but like measuring at the very beginning is very important. So food scale. Uh, and then other than that, I don't really recommend a ton of apps other than like, you need to have some way to input the things that you're tracking. I don't care which one you use. It doesn't matter. Is there any way to go to a restaurant without being like a super high maintenance order or are there certain like types of cuisine that you suggest for, for this type of uh, approach to yeah. weight loss? I mean, I'd argue that you're way more low maintenance because you don't need more stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, the best thing to do is just like make the best choice for you on the menu. Um, and 
you're not going to understand what that means at first until you start like doing it more often. Uh, and that's like where having a coach comes in handy. Cause like after the meal, I was like, Hey, this is what I got. What do you think? They're like, I would go, I'd go with this next time. And then like get X on the side and just use a little bit of it. Like that's it. Um, people try, try to overcomplicate the menu thing. And it's just like, it's literally like, just don't order a super crazy appetizer uh, and just get the best version, like the best choice possible on the, on the menu for the actual food. And then don't stress about it. There's nothing else that you can do. <laughs> like, relax. It's fine. Again, it's one night. If you're, as long as you're not eating that th- same thing over and over and over again for every for every meal, like it's going to be fine. Um, it's just really not that big a deal. What is some advice that you would give to yourself five to ten years ago? Um, that would probably be just financial advice. To be honest, it would be uh, uh, don't spend as much on don't not don't spend on stupid stuff, but don't spend as much on stupid things. Like uh, you could, you could enjoy it like a tiny bit less and it's going to go, it's going to help you out a little bit more. What is the best investment you think someone can make? And that can, that doesn't have to be financial. It could be in anything. And it's always going to be your health. Like if you like, don't take care of your health, then there's nothing that you do that's going to be worth it ever. So like, what's the point of having money if you can't do anything with it? Like what's the point of having kids if you can't do anything with it? Like you need to take care of yourself first and foremost, and then, and everything else will follow Buy a little bit higher quality food, um, buy things that will help you do more activity. How do you tell what's healthy in this age of like lots of nutrition myths and issues? Yeah. So, um, everybody has a kind of a fundamental like baseline knowledge of what's healthy, like just kind of start there. Um, and then go from, go from that. Like there, obviously there's going to be tons of marketing around food. And so like, if it sounds like bullshit, it probably is like being a vegan, isn't going to magically cure things ever. It's just not. And there's lots of unhealthy parts of veganism. Just like there's lots of unhealthy parts of other diets, which is why diets need to be all encompassing. So, um, just kind of start with what your elementary school taught you about nutrition, like just start there and then like use that as a as building blocks. Um, and just like, if things are a ton of calories, they're probably not good for you. Even if they're great for you fat, like just don't drink it. Like stop putting fucking butter in your coffee. It's stupid. That was another one of my disasters that I've experimented with. (laughs) It's it's, let's put 900 calories into your coffee. That's going to be great. No, it's not. It's terrible. Such a bad idea. Such a bad idea. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had a blast. I think we really covered a lot of stuff. Um, But Instagram at the Chris Colson, because I think that's a hilarious handle. Uh, And my website is nerds who lift. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. I learned so much. What was your favorite part of this episode? Drop a comment below so we can start a dialogue. There's so much interesting science and non-science about nutrition. So I always just like the thought-provoking analysis paralysis that you can spiral out into. So I was really grateful to have Chris debunk some of those myths for us today. I certainly feel like I have a more uh, clear direction on where I want to go with my health and fitness and nutrition now. So thank you so much for that perspective, Chris. If you would like to work with Chris, I highly recommend you check out his stuff at nerdswholift.com. He has a ton of really interesting free content that you can dive into. As always, please smash that subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening. This is Elise Walsh with Invested Success, and I will see you next time.